today. And uh, you know, remember them in prayer. Uh, they too have financial needs, uh, financial support needs because of the dollar being devalued. It's affecting all of our missionaries. It's a tough time. I mean, with the economy uh, the way it is and people are hurting, uh, but it greatly impacts our missionaries around the world too. And so that's why many of them are back in the States on furlough this time of year too, just uh, visiting churches and supporters. So uh, if you would like to support them in their ministry, hear about their work that they are doing, uh, Paul will be in the foyer uh, afterwards too and Kathy and you can greet them. Uh, and then just ask more about what's going on there. Well, this morning I want to share just a little bit from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. I had planned this, so you don't have to worry. This is, you know, I'm not planning on doing a full message and going as long as I normally do, but just sharing a couple things this morning as we've been looking at Ecclesiastes. But let me just pray and commit this time to the Lord. Father, as we come before you today, we rejoice in what you are doing around the world. These are exciting days. We are privileged to live at the time we do when the gospel is advancing in so many different parts of our world today where people who never had the opportunity before to hear about Jesus Christ are for the first time having that privilege. And Father, we pray for the advance and the good success of the gospel that you would continue to bear fruit in places like Germany among the Turks, but even in Turkey too. And in the Middle East, as the uh, Evangelical Free Church opens that up as a new field and begins to work in places like Egypt and Lebanon and other countries and the Arab nations and states, Lord, would you be pleased to bless that and bring many to yourself as Savior and Lord. Guide us today as we look at your scripture and speak to us words of encouragement and challenge and correction, things that we need to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share a story with you this morning that actually comes from uh, several years ago when Barbara Bush was uh, in the White House as the First Lady. Uh, she was asked to give a commencement address at Wellesley College in Massachusetts. Well, when the word got out that she was going to be the speaker at their graduation, some of the young women there were not happy. You know, Wellesley is a women's college, kind of a, a prestigious school in many ways, and they were not happy with her selection as the speaker because they thought that her fame was really due to her husband's and not through any accomplishments of her own. So they didn't think that she should be able to speak there, and some of them signed a petition to that uh, end. Well, when some of the other women heard about these young women who were protesting that, they were upset, especially a lot of full-time moms that were upset about that, and who felt that what they were doing was disrespectful and insulting even. When the time came for Barbara Bush to speak, she didn't jump into the fray, and she didn't you know, chastise the young women who had protested, and she didn't come to her defense in terms of saying why she should be qualified. Instead, what she chose to do on that day was simply to share some things that were part of her values, her values and the way that she looked at life and the choices that she made. And here are three things that she said briefly in that message. She said, as you set off from Wellesley, I hope that many of you will consider making three very special choices. The first is to believe in something larger than yourself and to get involved in some of the big ideas of our time. She shared how she chose literacy because she said, I honestly believe that if more people could read, write, and comprehend, 
we would be that much closer to solving so many of the problems that plague our nation and our society. The second thing she said was to enjoy life. And you can put these up on the screen. And she uh, encouraged them in that way. She said, whether you are talking about education, career, or service, you are talking about life. And life really must have joy. It's supposed to be fun. One of the reasons I made the most important decision of my life to marry George Bush is because he made me laugh. It's true. Sometimes we laugh through our tears, but that shared laughter has been one of our strongest bonds. And the third choice that must be made is to cherish your human connections, your relationships with family and friends. For several years, you've had impressed upon you the importance to your career of dedication and hard work. And of course that's true, but, that, but as important as your obligations will be as a doctor, a lawyer, a business leader, you are a human being first. And those human connections with spouses and children, with friends, are the most important investment you will ever make. At the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. But you will regret if you have not spent time with your husband, a child, a friend, or a parent. You know, I like what she shared in that message. It was very common sense, practical wisdom from somebody who had experienced life and wanted to share out of her experiences. And the reason that message came to mind for me is that that's very much what the book of Ecclesiastes is like. It is wisdom that comes from this writer of Scripture who has looked at life and come to some conclusions. And he has tried living life in the fast lane, if you will, and he's tried all kinds of amusements and education and entertainment and all those things, and yet he comes down to some very basic conclusions that are important for us. I think what she said that day could have come right out of the book of Ecclesiastes. We are all challenged to live for something bigger than ourselves. And what could be greater than knowing God and sharing in His work? When I hear the stories of what God is doing in missions, I get excited. And if you've been a part of our church for any length of time at all, you know that missions is very, very important to us. It is one of our values that we are committed to bringing the gospel to those who have never heard it before, whether that's in our community or around the world. But what I see in the book of Ecclesiastes is this also wonderful blend between working hard and yet enjoying life, being committed to the mission, yet realizing that God is God and that He is sovereign over all of these things and He is a great God who has given us this world to enjoy. When I think about the book of Ecclesiastes being read during the Feast of Tabernacles when families gathered and lived in these temporary shelters, I think of our families that are up at McCarthy Beach. And they're camping and they're enjoying fun and fellowship and time together, enjoying the beauty of that natural surrounding and the joy that comes from friendships. And life is meant to be lived like that. And those relationships are so important. That's why we talk about in our church that we are a family. We are part of the body of Christ. And we're here to support one another and rejoice in the good times and weep together when there is sadness or hardship and pray for one another when there are things that we are going through that we need to wrestle with God. Enjoy life and cherish those relationships. The book of Ecclesiastes is filled with what I would call wise words for busy people. 
And my guess is that would include just about all of us. We are all busy. And I've enjoyed reading this book again this summer. I have been encouraged and challenged and uh, convicted at times. And that's a good thing. Let me just share a couple observations out of these middle chapters that move into a section where uh, it's very much like the book of Proverbs. They are wisdom statements or sayings. And there's just a couple I'll mention today as we look at this. In chapter 5, verse 10, for example, Solomon writes, Whoever loves money never has money enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. He has a word here about wealth. And basically what he is saying is that if money is your God, it will never satisfy. If that's your goal in life, and you're, you know it's to amass a large sum of wealth, and that's what you think life is all about, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to reach the end of that. In chapters 5 and 6, he's going to make statements about wealth that list some of the potential dangers. He tells us that wealth can corrupt. There are times when people have abused wealth and there have been bribes or there is injustice or people are bought or sold. Influence is bought and sold. It can corrupt the heart. It can lead to greed, the desire for more and more stuff or things. It definitely brings increased responsibilities. The more you own, the more you need to manage and maintain, and that takes time and attention. It brings increased worries. Worries about the market, the economy, the weather, how that's going to affect things. About your property, theft, do I need to protect it or maintain it and keep it up? All those worries that go along. And then on top of all that, it can be lost in a moment. It can change just like that. And then what? If that's where you've put all your eggs, thinking that life is all about money, it's not going to satisfy. In fact, one of the quotes that I think sums up our generation is this one by Frank Clark, where he said that modern man is frantically trying to earn enough to buy the things he's too busy to enjoy. You know, they're just working harder and harder to buy all these things. But where's the time? Where's that time to really enjoy life? And what's the answer? The Bible tells us that even that ability to enjoy life comes from God. Contentment comes from God. Look at verses 18 through 20. He said, Then I realized that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him. For this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. And he seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. You see, in the end, it's not whether you have a lot or a little. It's the attitude of the heart that is most important in terms of enjoying life. And there are those that God has blessed and privileged with means that use that well to share and and are involved in the work of ministry and support those who God has called up and raised up as missionaries and workers. And they are a blessing to the church. And there is contentment for them because they have given that to God. 
And there are others who have very little, but they have great happiness and joy. You hear that when some of the families from our church have gone on mission trips and come back, or our students have gone, whether it's to Mexico or Guatemala or places like that. And one of the things that's just such an eye-opening experience is to see these people who relatively have so little and yet have such great joy because their joy is found in God and in the relationships that they do have. That's a challenge for us. And the area where I think God wants us to concentrate on and work more is when there is this word about wisdom that's found in chapter 7, that character and integrity and wisdom are more precious than riches. In chapter 7, verse 1, he tells us that a good name is better than fine perfume. That even though fine perfume may be expensive, may be costly and fragrant, a good reputation is better and it is longer lasting. And in chapter 7, he's going to go through other words about wisdom. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. That's verse 4. And he's talking about there that those who make observations about life and who realize that life is short and who take stock of the fact that one day we are going to die and they choose to live in light of that, live differently, to make the most of the time that we have, that's where wisdom is found. It's not in the heart of a fool who chooses to simply live for self and personal pleasure. God wants us to put Him first to love Him and to love the people around us and the relationships that we have. And that's what He will bless. He wants us to choose to live according to the truth of His Word. And that's the challenge of the book of Ecclesiastes. So in the end, it all comes down to some pretty basic instructions. If you go to the conclusion, that God has called us to love Him and to love people. And that's what Jesus said when He talked about the first and greatest commandment that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself. So don't let the busyness of life crowd out what really matters, but give yourself fully to God and fully to His work. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the wisdom that we find in Scripture and books like Ecclesiastes where we see the foolishness of our world and the things that people chase after trying to find meaning and purpose in life. And then we also see what really matters, our relationship with you and with one another, and using our gifts and our time, our abilities, our talents, our treasure in a way that honors you. Help us to do that this week. Amen.